0: Welcome back, everyone. Um, Today I want to deal with what I'm calling beyond mitigation. I've touched on this on some of the other podcasts, but um, I really wanted to delve a little deeper and spell things out a little more, um, because I I actually think out of, if there was one thing I want to get across from my podcast, it would be this concept, And um, because I think it's not just applicable to regenerative agriculture, but it's sort of a uh a worldview a way of approaching life in general so I, I wanted to start with an anecdote that i'd heard on a podcast uh, i think it was primal blueprint i think l was interviewing a guy named calvin ballister and um i it, I think, if I remember the details right, he had been a construction worker, and he had fallen from a significant height, and he had fallen down onto concrete, had had crazy injuries, including severe head trauma, and the doctors had given him like 10% chance to live, and if he did live, it was most likely he was going to be a vegetable but uh he had recovered he had you know recovered from paralysis he had eventually been able to talk and breathe on his own and then he just kept improving and much of his journey of improvement had to do with nutrition so they had been talking a lot about all these physical things and how um all these improvements and you know it was all about uh you know good food which included the saturated fats and the meat and all that but what i wanted to get at was a little anecdote well she moved on and she asked him about like emotional issues and and how he had to deal with obviously he had to have had dealt with some despair you know and so he i loved his answer his answer was that he he saw the brain much like a garden and now there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of neurons and they're all making these connections and synapses and it just there's going to be so many different kinds of plants or and some of them are going to be good, juicy, you know, uh, garden plants and others are going to be weeds. And he's really, you know, his view was that you just couldn't spend your time just trying to go around weeding out the, well, ripping up all the weeds out. And so, you know, for him, it was an issue of you really got to cultivate those plants the good thoughts you got to cultivate the good patterns. And then they, if they can just become healthy enough, they just sort of, there's not as much room for the weeds to be there and they get sort of out, outgrown by all the other, all, all, all the good things. And, um, and in fact, to to focus on the weeds somewhat is is oftentimes you give them more attention than they warrant, and they often, under that sort of tension, they kind of grow in their own way and become the focus, um, whereas he thought really the focus needed to be the positive. And that's kind of what I'm getting at, and I, and I do think that how this is applicable very much is, um, you know, when we're... When we're dealing with kids, and you know, we may start out in life where we're like, hey, no, don't, you know, don't go down the stairs head first that you know, you can cause severe damage. Don't cross the street without holding hands, you know. Um, you know, if we, we have a lot of do's and don'ts, you know, and at the very beginning of, of life, they have to sort of learn how to navigate, and mostly so that they. You know, can remain safe, mostly so that they aren't a danger to themselves and others. And, and, and that's appropriate, at, you know, at the very beginning level. Um, but it would be extremely sad if that was really the ultimate goal of anyone's relationship with their child. Um, you want to move on to one of, of much more rich and uh, about positive things. Um, and this, this can also be very much, um, I would draw parallels to spirituality, where, um, when you you have in the Old Testament with your your do's and your don'ts and Thou shalt not, and you know don't steal and don't lie and don't covet and don't you know you know don't do all these things that um, when it came down to it, you know. Uh, Jesus summed them up as love your neighbor as yourself, and in that positive thing, obviously, there's it's so much more rich, and um, and those other things are just kind of a given. You don't, <laughs> you, if you love someone, you don't you don't steal from them, you don't cheat on them, you don't um, you, you don't do you know you don't lie to them. So, um, with that in mind, I, I think that we could stand to really. Bear that sort of approach when we think of issues like environmental issues or agricultural issues. Um, and because p- the predominant approach of how we try to solve the problems of today is about mitigation. And in many cases, this is appropriate. This is like the little kid, right? So if we have, um, if we want to limit damage, like for instance, like in milk, right? We have a a history in this country where there was a point where they were bringing milk to the cities and it was not staying fresh long enough so it got bad and people were getting sick so you know then we started um heating it up and pasteurizing and homogenizing it and we built a whole system on that as if that was the real that was the real end goal instead of that being sort of a stopgap measure of a situation where you weren't getting the real thing And so here we have, you know, at this point, definitely, you know, it's an issue of safety. You don't want to drink the the regular conventional milk because there's a significant percentage of that that's, you know, it's got pus in it. It's from the mastitis and the sick animals. And it just simply wouldn't be safe to drink. Um You know, and we have this approach as well, you know, for for climate change or whatnot. You know, we have this idea that, you know, we'll offset things like if we have, we can plant trees to offset damage. You know, I remember listening to a, a musician at one point and his wife was into sustainable issues and they asked him why he was driving around. Can't remember if it was a Jaguar or if it was an SUV or whatever, some sort of question and he was like, Well, it you know, I'm fine. I don't mind if I if I'm using up some you know, not being energy efficient here because I've paid so much money here to have a thousand trees planted over here. And so for, you know, it becomes this sort of equation, um, you know, the same sort of equation would be going to like carbon tax, right? So where you you quantify things and you can trade and then, you know, if you're going to pollute over here, that means that you have to buy up someone's carbon, you know, you know, some sort of number of carbon so that someone else is not polluting as much, which may all be important steps of us being able to, you know, get control once again over the industry and, and its levels of, of you know, of, of damage. And that's one way to get control of damage, but it's really not a true answer, and when it comes to food and it comes to agriculture, this is the category that I automatically put organic in. I think it's the very rare case that organic actually goes beyond mitigation. And so pretty much, and and this can really be... Uh, gives you a clue in that much of the organic food is done and produced by the exact same producers who are producing the conventional food. Um, I believe this happens with vegetables but and I know it happens with animals so that you may have you know several buildings of a hundred thousand chickens or whatever. Um, laying eggs and they're fed conventional feed and whatnot. And then you may set aside another building just alongside your others, but a little bit separate. And you're you're giving them a little bit different input. So you're giving them a little, well, less malignant input. So you're mitigating the, the bad stuff that you're giving them, but it's still all under the same paradigm, right? And or vegetables, I would imagine, would be the same thing where you have these, you know, very vast, you know, monocrop or acreage where you, you know, most of it is done by heavy technological dependency, and you just, instead of putting, you know, maybe synthetic fertilizers, you're trying to get, you know, more organic fertilizers and pesticides, You're, you're getting it from plant chemicals rather than something that was made in the factory, but you haven't really changed your paradigm. And this is very uh, it's very important in the sense that we never change our focus. we never get beyond this relationship with our child of you know don't don't go out in the street you know without holding an adult's hand or you know we're, we're stuck in this very simplistic and it just doesn't get us very far and uh, I think of a store, near you near us here it's a it's a natural food store and they're trying to do what they can so they they want to get you know organic if they can or more natural and they want to get um local and you know you would think that all these things you know would end up as a a very positive thing but i remember being very disappointed i i i went to go check it out and i was not impressed with what was inside and but what even uh, impressed me even less was there was this sign and it was out on the out in the parking lot and i kind of don't want to pick on these guys so but cuz they are trying to do they're trying to mitigate some damage but i just feel like we missed the boat so here's their philosophy their philosophy is like and it, and it said our philosophy is and then it had these like bullet points and it was like all our food will be free from So it'll be free from maybe antibiotics or you know trans fats or high fructose or um, synthetic you know pesticides or you know all these different things and the entire thing was nothing on the positive nothing on it's like we will just be mitigating some of these bad things that are in your food and it just we missed the boat. We miss what's actually going on, you know what, what actually we're missing out and we're actually not providing any answers. We're just trying to we're just trying to not do as much damage. And I don't think we're actually um, going to provide any solutions that way. So I, I wanted to give an example of this that um, that'll bring out what exactly I mean here and it's just sort of a pet peeve of mine and, uh, well, let me give a little anecdote because this just happened not too long ago. I was at the farmer's market and it was on a Wednesday, so it wasn't quite as busy. And it was also at the start of the season, so there weren't as many vendors. So there were some extra spots underneath the structure. And at those times, you know, you can be a, a group of something and you can just pay a small fee. And then you set up a booth and you can... Um, in this case it was an environmental group and they were all about sustainability and um, they um, it was a student group from the college at Virginia Tech and and very well-meaning intentional um, you know well-intentioned kids and they they had all these signs out and of course they're right next to me. <laughs> And, uh, w- they bring out that sign that always comes out at these sustainable, um, things, and it's this water chart. And they have this little chart, and it says, you know, it takes, uh, 1500 or to 2000 gallons of water to make one pound of beef. And then it says, and beans are another great source of protein. And it takes 50 gallons of water to make one pound of of bean protein. And so I had a little time because it wasn't a very busy day, and I meandered over there. And um, you know, as you realize, you're you're right next to a a meat vendor here, and Like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we, you know, we know you're probably doing a pretty good job, and they're very nice. And I think, uh, probably, probably most of them were vegetarian, so, (laughs) but, uh, and you know, they're doing it for very, you know, well intentioned reasons. So I said, well, let's, let's get talking about this, because I say, obviously, this is a good statement if you're, if, if you're talking about, you know, animals that are raised in feedlots, you know, and if we're talking about an extraction model. And we're talking about just seeing food as a resource and mining it from the from the ground, and you know, in, in a sense, if we look at if we look at water as being pretty much in an extraction model, water is pretty like equivalent to to something like gas or something, right? So, you have gas and you're burning it up in your car. Well, here we go. We've got a we've got one car that's like. You know the big Hummer of all Hummers, and it's you know guzzling up fifteen hundred gallons of water or gas to you know, to get you one mile, and the beans can do it for fifty. You know, and so in, in, within that model, that you know, makes a lot of sense. Um, and I said, yeah, well, what about you know? Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. So we got talking about, you know, sustainable. And they're like, well, we're sure, you know, you're probably doing a pretty good job. And in a sense, I was mitigating a lot of the damage and whatnot. And I said, well, I'm going to push a little farther. I said, any, any of you guys been on a farm? And there was this one girl who had been, and she had grown up on a, f- a farm, or at least um, had had cows and stuff that had been in the, you know, on, um, may have been her grandparents' farm. I don't remember the details, but, um, She's sort of the one that engaged with me, and I said, "Well, let's talk about what's going on with the water, right? Because if we're talking about sustainability, we're worried about climate change, you know, and that's all about you know water cycles and what's going on." So I said, "Okay, so here we have we have a farm, and let's say we're no longer talking about a feedlot, but now we're talking about rotational grazing because that's what I do, and you know, most farms like that they're getting their water either from a stream." A spring, you know, or they're getting, or from a well, right? So, in our case, I, we have a spring, and uh, and it's one of the first springs that starts, and it flows into, uh, eventually becomes a river, and um, it joins some other um, waters on the way. But we're um, we're up high in the mountain, so this is where the water starts, and this is water. This is fresh water. Right, and this is fresh water that, sure, it'll, it'll go down into the streams and it'll provide some water for plants along the streams and it may provide some home for um, fish and aquatic animals and whatnot, but the vast majority of that water is going to end up in the ocean, in the salt water, right? And so here we are and we're worried about water and we're worried about fresh water, So we take that fresh water and, you know, and I, and I kind of did this where I sort of walked her through and I said, well, what happens to that water? And I, you know, I'm going to put it somewhere and I'm going to divert it from the stream, whether, whether it's just gravity fed or if I'm pumping it. So I pump it into, you know, some big container so that they can drink, you know, I said, and so the cow drinks, right? So now suddenly we've changed a lot of the equation. So, um, and this, you know, I have to, You don't want to throw too much out there, but the math becomes suddenly very, very different, right? If that 1,500 gallons of water is including what it, you know, what it took to raise the corn, to feed this cow, what, you know, what it took to probably to transport all that stuff to get it to them and whatnot. So now suddenly we're dealing with a cow that's on the pasture and the water's getting diverted directly to them. And they're not eating any grain. And in my case it's mostly sheep I have very few cows but it's mostly sheep but everything that I talk about cows um, relates to sheep as well because they're 100% grass-fed ruminants but I do have a milk cow so I you know so we talked a little bit about the math there where you know so a milk cow is you know well she may drink a lot of gallons maybe she drinks 20 gallons that day and then uh, we have a jersey so she may give us you know only three gallons back. From that twenty gallons that she drank, but it's going to be extremely high in fat, extremely high uh, in nutrition and whatnot. So here we have very different equation um, for milk cows. They they give you back an unbelievable amount for what they're drinking. Um, and there, but we could talk about beef too. So if you got you know if you got some beefs or some steers or whatnot, and they're maybe gaining at you know pound and a half a day or something. Um, you know, and they're drinking. They're not going to drink as much as a, a milk cow. You know, so we're talking more like um, maybe ten gallons to produce one. You know, just for a very, <laughs> for a very rough estimate. You know, ten gallons here, and you're getting one gallon, uh, one pound of meat out of it of gain on the animal. So that's a very different equation. However, I said, but I'm, I'm willing to take your math. Right? Let's say we even took your math, and we took it at fifteen hundred versus the fifty. I said, well, let's say we're taking this cow and we take that water, we take that fresh water, and now we put it through the system of the cow. So we're taking it out of this water, that vast majority of it is going to end up in the saltwater ocean, and we give it to this cow. And then what happens to it? And then this girl was plenty, you know, plenty informed and she knew that okay well you know most of it some of it goes to growing the animal but a lot of it goes into the urine and the urine is full of all sorts of nutrients the urine is full of very heavy nitrogen you know and salt and all this stuff and so that gets peed out and it goes to the pasture and so Here we go, and we got the grass and and the pasture, and then suddenly they're getting a nice flush of nitrogen, and they're getting water. And that organic material that's in the soil is able to retain that water. And so we've now we've now taken that water and we've put it through the system and we've ameliorated that water and then as it comes out of that system because this is what those echo ecological cycles do they you know the output from one system is not waste but actually it has you know increased in benefit and it's the input to the next one and so it's all about growing soil it's all about retaining organic material it's all about retaining fresh water on the land it's all about you know sequestering more carbon and so here we have a system and and i said well let's talk about the beans a little bit right so here we have beans and um it's probably been plowed, so you've disturbed. You know, you, you've you've taken your your vegetables and you've plowed the land. Very very probably with a technology, probably with a tractor and everything. So you've used gas for that, and you you've plowed it and you planted it and maybe you fertilized it and you did all this um, thing and. Um, you know I got a little bit into the darker side of, of growing vegetables where you' you're you're, di- you're disturbing the soil and you're you're breaking the structure and then who knows what you've put what sort of implements you know inputs have you given for this bean to grow and, and have are they chemical and based and have they killed you know plant life as well as you know animal life or bacterial life within the soil you know and all you know however you've only used 50 gallons of water to grow that pound of beans but what has the beans actually returned to the soil very little if like next to nothing especially compared to what a cow has done when they've taken that water and so you know and this girl that i was talking to this Mainly this one girl. The others were just kind of on the side listening sort of vaguely. Not sure what they thought about this crazy man. But, you know, she's like, oh, you're right. It's really not, you know, as you're not really doing as much damage as I thought. And I said, well, let me push it just a little further. And, and I said, well, if you had the choice, what, you know, even if I take your math, which is ridiculous, it's math based on an entirely different system. But even if you took your math and you said, I want to take 50 gallons of water and put it to this bean and I'm going to use it up like gas because that's an extraction system or I'm going to take 1500 gallons to make one pound of meat which is bad math anyways but even if it was good math but if I was taking that 15. That, you know, fifteen hundred gallons of water and I was putting it through a system that actually was making that water better and then I was giving nitrogen and returning to the plants and helping the plants grow and helping the soil grow. I said, which, you know, which system do you want to put your water in? And, you know, I'm not sure if the you know how uh, you know if she really got it, but I was just trying to change the sense of Right, so one one sort of paradigm when we're stuck in this extraction model, and we always see water, and we see soil, and we see everything as a resource to mine. It will always be about mitigation, I'll always be trying to let's not waste too much, or can we recycle this, or whatnot. But nature is extravagant in its "quote unquote" waste because the the, the waste from an animal is. is is always a very uh, a, a big input for the next system that's going to receive that quote-unquote waste, right? So people can talk about conversion rates. So like you have, you know, oh, well, an animal eats this much and they gain that much, you know, they might eat three pounds of grain and they get one pound of, of weight from it. This is great. But, you know, and they say, oh, well, uh, chicken is notorious for not using uh, the nutrition within what it eats, you know, so it's like, I, and I don't know what the statistic is exactly, but maybe, you know, it, it utilizes less than 50% of it and it comes out really hot, right? So they call it hot, hot manure. And if it's, you know, if you get too high of a concentration, it can actually burn the plant. So versus rabbits who like, you know, they actually digest, they, they, they digest their food twice, you know, and so their manure comes out as a colder manure and it's, you know, they've used more nutrients, but then it's like, but not, you can put it directly on your garden stuff right? But all those nutrients that the chicken wasted and didn't convert is now in a manure in a high bacterial form that actually provides an incredible amount of of nitrogen for the plants and stuff. So this whole idea of of systems that feed into other systems is an entirely different approach than, than mitigation, right? So, I mean, when you talk about the the technological and the and how we're gonna how we're gonna feed the world you know the big solutions for a long time now we're gonna have vertical agriculture where we're gonna have these big buildings and everything's gonna be recycled and we're gonna use you know 50 percent less water and we're gonna you know mitigate all this waste and it's gonna be very minimal waste you know but they've unplugged themselves from nature and they've unplugged themselves from all these cycles that are not about trying to do get as close to zero damage as we can, but they're actually about growing fertility, actually about increasing fertility and actually about, um, growing in complexity and systems that, you know, the the more complex and more diverse your systems are, the healthier are. So it's, they're, they're growing in health. Um, same sort of thing i have I've been in some discussions with very very smart and intel- intelligent people that are talking about the the third industrial revolution right and this is about how um, the internet and the and the transportation and everything everything's becoming much more efficient and and in that concept is the aggregate efficiency? You know, the, the waste that happens as you know things are transported, or they move from one place to another, or if we, you know, from one hand to another, and and the entire focus on that is that we're, you know, in a sense, it's that Newtonian we're losing we're losing heat every time there's friction, and you know, and here we have this aggregate efficiency that we're, we're losing every time we have an interaction. And so this whole paradigm is about let's bring that down to zero, right? Whereas nature and ecology is all about the opposite. No, let's have a little friction. Every time these systems are interacting, let's have a little friction because within that friction, there's a whole explosion of life that happens within that, right? So if you have any time, you know, Anytime you have in, in, in the soil, you know, you have a worm or a nematode or, you know, and it's eating all the stuff every time, you know, like say it dies or something, right? So um, uh, suddenly it's just a burst of all these nutrients that are available for everything that's around it. You know, so every time there's there's friction or, or what we would think maybe in a lot of cases as negative things or waste, this is actually nature's way of just... Um, it's part of the currency of nature where, you know, the output from one system is the input to another. And so if we start trying to take that away and make things as m- mechanical as we can, and we have this idea of efficiency that is um, where everything is separate from each other. If you're an isolated system without interaction with any other system then it makes sense that you want to bring everything down to zero waste and you want to have, you know, you want to mitigate any sort of loss of anything. But when you're in community with systems all over the place, this that doesn't make any sense. I want to be clear I, you know I'm, I'm not against mitigation I mean th- the reality of the world is that it's full of systems of extraction it's full of very damaging industrial systems and yes we're gonna have to have regulations we're gonna have to have you know emissions caps we're gonna have to get control of the carbon we're gonna have to you know have rules about you know how much poison can be in your food you know we we're we gonna continue finding that threshold of, you know, the maximum amount of poison that can be in your food where you can still be okay to eat, you know. Uh, that's all about safety, and and that's just kind of something we're going to have to have because, we're, you know, we're living in a world full of these systems that are very detrimental and very damaging. But I what I want to do is remind people that this is that's the stage of the toddler, right? That's the stage of just trying to keep safe by living in a world of do's and don'ts. And I, I want to, you know, if I could refer back to the, the anecdote from Calvin and the brain and the weeds and the garden, you know, that the danger is that we just get focused on the weeds and we get focused on eradicating weeds. And that's not really the point of the garden. The point of the garden is to grow, you know, grow these wonderful, fruitful plants. And so it, if we can remember that, and you know, this is the whole idea of, Of immersion. This is the whole idea of Gestalt, of the Kierkegaardian leap. You know, things emerge. the The whole is greater than the sum of its parts, and this happens with interconnections. So we've got to get ourselves plugged into and interconnected with systems that are healthy, systems that you know are connected to the soil, systems that are regenerative. And in doing so, if we can, you know, cultivate these. whether we're talking about agriculture, whether we're talking about social, whether we're talking about political, economic, um, all these systems are going to intertwine as long as they're creative and regenerative. You know, good things are going to come and we can't even predict what they're going to be. And that's the beauty of the gestalt and everything. So, you know, if we can just remember that mitigation is kind of a necessarily sort of discipline that we got to do. and But really any solution, any sort of real life of of a rich life is going to have to go beyond um, mitigation and we're going to have to interconnect with systems that are regenerative and systems that are healthy all right thanks for listening